Basically repurposing Nerded Here Weekly for The Watchmen, so I'm joined by Riley Trahan. It's as unexpected as other things we'll talk about later. <laughs> Fred, aptly named for this movie, Neighbor. That cut out, but I'm assuming he's talking about me. How's it going, everybody? <laughs> and Jackson Trahan. Hi, I, I guess I'm the Jack in the full deck, but I don't know who the queen is. Dibs. Nice. All right. Well, we're here to talk about just... Barbarian. Yes, the new we are. Movie we're doing that it. Is sweeping the nation. So a little bit of backstory on this one. Riley, Fred, and I went to see 3,000 Years of Longing, I guess a couple of months ago by now. And they yeah. showed the trailer for this in front of that. And I was like, oh, that looks good. I think we all realized, oh, that's probably going to be good. It came to theaters. I don't think any of us got a chance to see it in the theater. So then, like, October 25th, it's dropping on HBO Max, and Riley and I are texting back and forth for, like, a week leading up to it. Like, bro, are you Can ready? I jump yeah, in? I, I don't mean to already derail us, but yeah. I just want to say, I so this movie, right, this has been a year of very cool, like, low-budget horror movies getting financed and put out and, like, achieving more than we would have hoped for them, right? Right, just um, kind of coming Barbarian, by way, by virtue of its whole, like, don't-know-anything-going-in mythos, I think is, like, peak that. Yeah. And I just want to, add, mm-hmm. to your point about how we all came to the movie, I just wanted to say, there was actually a day when I was sitting in the theater waiting for barbarian to start and i got a text mm-hmm. from my beautiful wife saying hey the dog seems weird can you come home i'm worried about her and i was like oh, but i'm in, but i'm in the movie it's the movie that you're <laughs> supposed to see i don't know and, and i did end up leaving to come home and, and we we found out that breezy had a, a near but it was it like it added to the mythos for me of like oh no i'm supposed to, I'm, I, I should be here watching the thing mm. <laughs> Yeah, well, as long as Breezy's good, that's what matters. No. Uh, uh, yeah, so we're here to talk about Barbarian, uh, which we have all now seen, and I guess our big... Well, what did everyone... Because, Riley, you mentioned that it's kind of a spoiler-phobe movie. All movies are like that, but this one especially. <laughs> um, what did, like, Fred and Jack, what did you guys know about it beforehand, and how did you react to seeing it? I didn't, I didn't know anything. anything. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yep. Cool. <laughs> Absolutely cool. nothing. Yeah, I went. Uh, I just was with some friends at a at a bar on the weekend of Halloween, and uh, I went back to their place, and they were like, "I heard I, we've heard about this new movie." I literally hadn't even heard about it before. Didn't know you guys were talking about it or excited about it, and I uh, just they threw it on. 
So the yeah, ultimate I'm, um, word of mouth hit, something that apparently doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, yeah I guess so. Yeah. I mean, what were you saying, Fred? I'm, I'm like, when it comes to horror films, I'm a big baby. Um, I really don't like jump scares, but I'm always like really itching for that good horror movie. And so like, I had a friend see this, like, or she told me that this was a good movie that she liked it. I was like, all right, cool. I've been waiting to see it. That's all I needed to know. And I jumped in and yeah, it's a, uh, it's a movie. Yeah, I think we're I think we're all itching to get into like the spoiler zone of this, right? And we will absolutely get there eventually. But yeah, I think I I had heard a lot of film critics, right, with podcasts or in in columns or whatever, being like, "See this movie, know as little as you can know before seeing this movie," right? Which is of course always mm-hmm. the position that Deepak advocates for on this show, and was a position that I was perfectly comfortable, kind of like fitting into right mm-hmm. um but i had you know i had gone to see a bunch of things and maybe this is something deepak if you want to explore we can get into this a little bit but like this had been the year it seems of like middling budget indie horror super hits right so like i had mm-hmm. gone to see many a film this year starting with probably nope where this movie was advertised in front of it and then approaching the release date, I had seen all these critics being like, don't know anything. The more you know, the worse. And I was like, oh, mm. well, I know the movie about a young woman who shows up in an Airbnb that is booked by a spooky-ass man. And then there's a freaky tunnel under the basement. And there's something going on down there. So, oh, no, the movie is spoiled for me because I have seen the trailer that reveals such much uh, <laughs> so many times in front of all these all these different indie horror films of 2022 and, and watching the movie, you know, and we'll get into this, you know, as we, as we talk, but there was a cut where I was like, Oh, I know nothing. I I am not at all prepared for this film. I don't know what's happening here at all. I, I am, am, you know, seeing the shadows on the cave wall and realizing they're not real, right. Which, Which was a very cool experience. You don't have that often. In, in your modern cinema going experience and I thought that, that was really cool and I think that that accounts for a lot of the success of this movie at the box office which has not been minimal right I mean this thing's been cleaning up a little bit I like your allegory of the cave reference that was good I'm trying to pull up the box office uh, the, 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 yeah it did 43 yeah I actually have it million off of a budget of four and a half yeah yeah it made yeah, almost yeah, ten times as much money hit of the year. no yeah, That's Disney great. apparently talked about how when they were thinking about what to do with the movie marketing-wise, they wanted it to feel like it was something that audiences were discovering for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they wanted to they carefully shaped the PR campaign to just give you a little taste of it and go. Wait, there's a lot Disney happening. Was about that? <laughs> yeah, so this yeah, we'll came talk, to we'll Disney through uh, through I think Fox, right? Fox. The sale. Yeah. So yeah, it was. So there are all these great smile right smile i don't know if you guys have seen or are aware of smile the like indie mm-hmm. horror movie that came out this year it was originally oh it's not slated. indie it's it's studio backed well it was originally slated to go to paramount plus direct right but then oh okay paramount like screened it a couple times and looked at the overall and and, and i think this has been a result of covid right so few like budgeted movies are coming out that it's like horror movies that got like 16 20 million or whatever which is like a 
a decent horror budget. You know, there's nothing else out there, so these movies are getting put in the theaters because they'll succeed, which is really cool for me. But like, Penny for the Devil, Smile, uh, uh, No, I mean, Nope would have gone to theaters either way, but Nope is out there as well, right? Uh, th- this one that we're talking about right now. Uh, What's the Florence the Plue one? Don't worry, darling. Yeah. Right. Um, it's just been a real cool season for like like middle tier horror movies, right? In, in an era where if you go to a theater, like we, we have talked about this many times in many different podcast formats, right? But like the idea that if you're going to a theater, you are seeing like a maximalist superhero epic or whatever, right? And like the number of times, the number of opportunities we have had this year to go to the theater and see like contemplative adult dramas about problems or whatever right even if they're even if they're shrouded in the metaphor of horror or whatever like it's just a weird time for movies and i like i think this fits squarely into that and that was the thing is like going into this i was like i thought i knew everything because i thought i had seen this one trailer and then like actually watching it i was like oh it's a it's a movie with a point of view and stuff i guess this is the season for that yeah i was not expecting it to be not that it's a message movie, but it definitely has more on its mind than just freaking you out. And it does a very good job of both, which is always good. It was a strange movie to me. Like, well, so Riley, you described what I suppose is in the trailer, which I didn't see. Um, and that is the plot of like a movie. But I don't know if it's the plot of this movie, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So can I can I. Yeah, like, we should probably, like, start and just go through it, right? So, so Deepak and I were going back and forth about this, and I think this is the best way to do this, if you'll agree, my good friend, is that because of our position, maybe I can be our guide through the first act, and then I'll hand it off to you to be our guide after that? Sure. Okay. So, so I don't know if, if there is anyone within the sound of my voice that has not listened to the big picture show on the ringer uh you're you're living life wrong i appreciate i appreciate your dedication but they're a much better movie podcast so go check them out but they they did a great 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 episode on barbarian that included an interview with the director who um quick quick just kind of internal powwow i don't know if y'all are aware jack this will probably mean nothing to you but the director uh was a member of voice kids you know oh shit really yeah which, which was like the Chappelle show of our class, right? Like, I, I genuinely remember everybody our age when we, Fred and D-Back, when we were graduating, being like so into Whitey's Kids, you know. So yeah, he had done that, and then he directed Miss March, which was a 2008, like, sex comedy that was garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his creative partner, who he had directed Miss March with, had passed away a couple of years, tragically, at a very young age. And, and he had according to this interview I heard with him on the big picture show, he had kind of just taken to writing as a creative, right? Like not writing thinking this would be a movie or a book or anything. You would just write stuff, right? Every once in a while. And he had, by his own account, begun writing what would eventually become Barbarian as a story about a, and this is where we'll start our kind of analysis of the film. He had started writing it as a story about a young woman checks into an airbnb that is already booked by a very creepy dude who is like aware he's a creepy dude but like that makes it worse 
and then she discovers that there's something weird in the basement, and eventually he lures her down there. And he had kind of, you know, he was, he was how 30 pages, minutes, however you want to talk about it, into the story, and he said, I'm writing the thing everyone is expecting me to write. How can I make this unexpected? So we're going to break there and only talk about everything that comes before that, uh, which I think is some incredibly effective filmmaking, some incredibly poignant casting. You know, I, I, I think there's a lot of seeds that are planted in that opening act. I want us to really flesh it out as much as we can. But Deepak, let me start with you. You know, you and I watched this movie the same day. You started it about... 30 minutes before I did, and as I was starting it, you were texting me being like, what the fuck? So so let me just get kind of your raw reaction to the first. And let me just, spoiler, 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 spoilers, let me get your reaction to kind of just that opening salvo. Yeah, so I remember telling you that it was freaking me out because it was about like a very specific fear of mine, which is the distrust of Airbnbs and generally liking to be in a hotel. Because there's people, there's services, there's like, you know, the at least appearance of kind of safety and civilization with the Airbnbs. I just stayed in one this past weekend. You're kind of in no man's land. And it's just weird. That that concept of like just living in someone else's house when they're not there is fucking weird to me. And I like that you were like, really I hate Airbnbs. That. I'll never use one. I was in one last weekend. <laughs> so not by choice. Just... It was like the second time I've ever used it. I, I really like this because Jack, uh, I've already yelled spoilers five times. He texted this to me and I started watching it and I wrote to him and I was like, is this, because he hadn't clarified, he was like, I have a fear that this movie is tapping into. He did not clarify what that fear was. <laughs> I watched the opening salvo of the film. I texted and I said, does this have anything to do with your lifelong fear of Jason? And I didn't get any clarification. <laughs> but now, well, now we know. No. It was. Movie. Uh, no, so, I, th- I think that that's yeah. Fred, go run. So I think a casting Skarsgård is like yes. brilliant, uh, right? Of, so so what I what I had, just to give this some illumination, Fred, because I agree it's a it's a work of genius, right? Yeah. But I want to pull up his name. Let me uh, let me pull up the director's name while we're talking here. Again, this interview that I heard with him, he spoke about how very uh, he spoke about how he kind of got you know, like. He had client answers, but then they like were looking for a coat. Zach Kreger is his name, mm-hmm. and uh, then they eventually got in touch with a co-financer or whatever, and eventually it got passed around to the point that there was a gentleman who had money in the game who was also a producer on it. Got it. And he was able to call up Skarsgård and be like, "Hey, I think this is really good. You should take a look." Yeah, because I, I think that's how that happened. But I, I agree with you a thousand percent. Speak on it. Yeah, because like a you know spoilers. Obviously, he's not the main villain of this movie, um, but he does a really good job convincing you that he might be. <laughs> and like, I like how you put it, Riley. How he's a creepy guy that knows he's creepy, because yeah. like exact that was exactly it like he was like put in this weird like i kind of felt for him he was put in this weird position where he had to convince a young woman that he wasn't a rapist and if you have to say i'm not a rapist it's never gonna sound like you're not a rapist right like that's just a it's a right like you can't just like he he just brings attention to all the weirdness and it was super creepy so so the opening act of the film right basically features two 
actors, right? There's Georgina Campbell as Tess, and there's Bill <laughs> Skarsgård as Keith, right? And the whole setup of the kind of the premise of the film is that Tess shows up at this Airbnb, and there's no key in the lockbox, and she rings the bell, and Keith opens the door, and he's like, oh, I booked this through one booking company. Tess is like, I booked through another booking company. So why don't you come inside, dry off, you take the bedroom. Let's figure out how to get in touch with these assholes and get this whole thing sorted out. <laughs> and and yeah, over the course of that, right, he, for example, Keith makes her some tea, which she declines. And then later on... He, he makes her tea some... after she's already declined it, well, which it, I think is important. Okay, yes, absolutely. And then he goes to open some wine... But he's like, hey, I was waiting for you to come in here so you could see me open the wine because I realized you didn't see me make the tea and, like, maybe that's uncomfortable for you, right? Like, he's very aware of the situation, but because of the general scars guardness of his energy, like, it doesn't play as good or helpful. And then, you know, eventually, uh, you know, we see her lock her bedroom door and... And then in the middle of the night, her door is open, and she seems to have heard some scuttlebutt. And she goes out into the hallway, only to find Mr. Skarsgård keep himself having a nightmare. She goes down into the basement, but gets freaked out in a search for toilet paper. Eventually, he goes down into the basement, he beckons her down. Help, help, help. She goes down against all of our better judgments. I can't imagine any of us wasn't saying, please, why, why, why? Uh, she goes down to find even a worse kind of darker sub-basement. And then when she finds... That was really the worst part. The basement's basement. Yeah. Even if you're going to go into the basement. You don't go into the basement. I have to tell the story, too, because I think all of us immediately want to say, there's no way I'm going down there, right? Like... Because I I also, went into a basement, I imagine basement. what you're about to say that would convince me <laughs> that I would go down there. I don't know if you guys would, but I, I'm just like thinking back on it. I'm like, yeah, I definitely investigated an abandoned insane asylum in the middle of the night that was supposed to be haunted. Fred's like, got his tape measure around. Yeah, like, <laughs> and I'm, I'm sitting there like that. That's stupid dumb. And then I'm looking back on my life. I'm like, oh no, I'm that dumb. So, so she walks down the hallway, and eventually she finds Keith crawling out of the shadows only to have a and I'll, and I'll say this as delicately as I can <laughs> a gigantic naked wolf run out of the shadows grab him by the skull and brutally murder him I feel like that's going to give the wrong impression she wasn't like a large woman <laughs> I mean she was she was she was woman. like a scaled up person she was like six feet Plus, she was like a giantess or an yeah, Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. yeah, she wasn't like obese. She was just mega mega sized. Yeah. Mega's great. Let's stick with that. <laughs> she didn't just say seven feet mushroom. plus. Like seven like seven feet plus tall and like weirdly proportioned long limbs and just real strong. Yeah, and we're gonna talk about the reason for all of this in a minute. Yeah. But and I also I do recognize I mean, I recognize that we are all just absolutely on edge to talk about what happens immediately after this. <laughs> but can we all just get some thoughts out about this before we talk about what I'm happy to describe as the greatest moment in American cinema? 
Wait, Scar's okay and his head bashed in is the greatest moment? No, 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 no. The thing that happens immediately after that. (laughs) I mean, it's it's very scary, right? And, like, it it works. It is incredibly effective, right? Like, you even knowing, right, because I had seen the trailer and I did know that there was some unexpected twist and I didn't know, for example, any other actors who were in the movie, right? But, like, I knew that this wasn't going to end with Bill Skarsgård being a murderer. Right, like I knew that one thousand So when he's like calling her down to the basement with with pleas of mercy, I'm like, oh, this isn't this isn't a trap, right? This is so, he something bad is happening. I was fully aware of that, and he comes crawling out of the shadow, and I was like, see, I told you something got him. But when I see his head just get squished like a grape up against the dungeon walls, like it's incredibly effective. Right? Like, no part of me is like, oh, I knew that was coming. I was like, oh, I don't want to have to look at that. And it, it's, a, it's a unique, like, it's such an effective use of him. And I think the thing we're about to talk about is an equally effective use in the opposite direction, which is, like, why I want to harp on it. But it is such an effective use of Bill Skarsgård to cast him as, like, the creepy guy who, as far as we can tell, doesn't actually have anything creepy. Right, mm-hmm. and 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 have him end in this way where he's just brutally murdered by the actual literal monster of the film because he just reads so plainly as the monster. Right? That's it's interesting that so you're calling effective. her the monster. Well, because yeah, we, I have a different get, take on it. We, but yeah, no, we will absolutely get into that. Yeah. But she is the literal like rah, 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 monster. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying right now. Yeah, it was. I was not expecting that to go that way because I like I thought we would follow those two throughout the whole movie. Of course, I mean, that was the point. I mean, I definitely mm-hmm. um when he was doing like the wine opening thing was probably the most endeared I got to him because it was like oh he knows he's a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he knows he's in like a difficult situation, right? And then like when mm-hmm. we get him where he's having the nightmare and he's like so defensive about like why did you wake me up mm-hmm. i mean there's a lot mm-hmm. of stuff we didn't talk about right like i, I and, and we don't have time enough to talk about all the shit right but like fred we talked about like the houses on barbary street and the address is the year oh, yeah. that the barbarians invaded rome and like there's all this metatextual stuff you can get into if you want to get into that but like ultimately mm-hmm. like it's a the call's coming from inside the house movie right like that's yeah. That's the spookiness of it, at a at a core level, and 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 then Deepak, I'm gonna throw to you, and I'm gonna retire my hosting duties for the rest of this episode by saying it then suddenly becomes a the call is not at all coming from inside the house movie just at the, at the act break, right? Yeah, so I think the moment you're talking about is when we suddenly switch to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, we see Bill Skarsgård get his head bashed in. We see the mother look at uh, Tess, the assumption being that she's next. But then rather than see her die, we, we switch to L.A. abruptly, where Justin Long is cruising along the Pacific Highway and gets a call from his management team that he is being accused of rape by a co-star and a sitcom pilot he's just shot. Which means that uh, he's fired from the show, he loses his money manager, he kind of has a career unwind in front of him, 
and the only thing he can do to uh, get some money so that he can start paying lawyers and whatever is to sell some properties that he happens to own in Detroit. Which, of course, brings us back to the story that we were just experiencing in a kind of roundabout way, because it turns out Justin Long is the landlord that's now come back to Detroit to sort of prep his house for a potential sale. When he gets there, he notices that there's stuff that doesn't belong to him. It's uh, Skarsgård and Tessa's stuff. Uh, from, I think, the property manager says the house was rented last, like, two weeks before he got there. Um, yeah. Which is, so I mean, this is definitely a, like, we've talked about, this. what's the Hitchcock term? The refrigerator movie? Yeah, right. Like, there are there are questions that linger once you're done with it, right? Like, how often is this house being booked? Why do they continue to book it if everyone checks in and no one checks out? Yada, yada, yada. But, like, no one's I, looking for I think this is so weeks. not that kind of move. Like, who gives a shit? It's irrelevant, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's, it's a parable or a, a fable or whatever, right? Like, it is, it is supposed to stand up as a sort of, like, timeless, iconic, like, narrative about the fundamental essence of humor, right? And I, 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 this is a scene where I have heard people quibble about, like, oh, well, there are luggages here. Why weren't other people's luggage? Right? And I think that is so missing the point of a very wonderful I don't. Th- I don't think other people went down there. I think oh, she happened to go down there. I don't think there's this... I don't think it's like a pit that's just sucking people in. Uh, the 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 crazy guy. There's a moment early on when Tess is getting from the car into the house, and there's a crazy guy that starts chasing her, and you think that it's because she's just been told it's a bad neighborhood, and this guy might be coming to sexually assault her or worse, and she thankfully gets in right on time. Um, but so that at least gives you some sort of early perception that there's some weirdness going on that other people know about, but. I never got the impression that it's just like eating every single person that comes in to rent it. Cause yeah, I mean, they spend the first night in there just fine. Yeah, except right? for the door opening, which that part doesn't make sense in a nuts and bolts plot kind of way. Cause it oh, right, because like, that door yeah. locks. Yeah, right. Um, I it, thought doesn't, about that it doesn't seem like the mother comes up out of the dungeon. So if she does, why would she just open a door and then walk back? That doesn't make any sense either. Just spook her. Well, yeah, I mean, that that's how you know that they don't abduct like well, we are we are getting ahead of ourselves though because so what mm-hmm. so we cut to justin long driving down the right so whatever. justin long comes back to detroit he is investigating why there's stuff in his house and he discovers the basement and mm-hmm. he discovers and he's just the chuffed as hell to find <laughs> yeah, he's, he's <laughs> very happy that he's he has extra not real estate to, not so to inject a personal anecdote into the pod the podcast of course but i i think we've all yeah by the time that I'll cut all this out if it's not relevant, but so I, I bought I bought a home, and by the time this goes up, I will either be living in or being living. But one of the things I learned about the homes was that unfinished real estate below ground level does not count, and that really sat with me as I watched Justin Long bust out his tape measure and inspect every nook and cranny of his. Very obvious murder dungeon. <laughs> was I was like, man, you can't, you can't list this. I, I just I just went through this. This doesn't count. You can't. Well, yeah, that's what he finds out, right? Is that he can't list the rooms, but he can list the square footage. Is that, is that what it is? Yeah. I, I thought what he found out was that uh, he shouldn't fuck around. <laughs> that too. <laughs> he definitely figured that out. Yeah. Uh, so did I, he? Did he find out? Then? 
I don't I don't know if he learned that lesson. I I mean I think a reasonable person would have learned the lesson. I don't think he learned so it. So what he end. went down what Deepak? He went down into the base he gets back to the house, he goes down into the basement and he brings his tape measure. He casually and idly walks by the the Rape room. Mur- murder bed with the T V or whatever. <laughs> the video camera. Yeah. So as he's uh, measuring along, measuring along, he realizes that someone's down there. He gets to the dungeons, and he's starting to think that maybe he shouldn't be down there. And that's when Justin Long, AJ, uh, comes face-to-face with uh, what we're calling the mother, uh, which is the uh, tall, comely woman that we saw earlier uh, kill Bill Skarsgård. And it turns out uh, Justin Long gets thrown into like a cage, and it turns out Tess is there. Tess is still alive. Uh, we are wondering how Tess managed to live, and it's because she has essentially taken on the role of the mother's baby. So the mother comes back and sticks her hand down the cage with a bottle of breast milk. And Tess drinks it and keeps telling AJ he needs to also drink it. He understandably refuses to drink it. Um, and this is when things go from bad to worse for poor AJ. He is dragged... He is dragged oh, by God, mother yeah, into her room and is forced to breastfeed on her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's like stuck in a room that is perpetually playing on a TV, like a breastfeeding instructional. Oh, God. Oh, yes. God. Yeah. 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 It's like the broiest bro shit of all time. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, he, he definitely did it. Oh yeah, he's like explaining that he's not a rapist while also explaining how he raped that woman. Yeah, it's fucking awful. Yeah, I'm persistent. He said. Yeah, you know she said no at first, but like, God. So. Yeah, it was the worst. Yeah. Well, and it eliminates all doubt that the accusations right. might be false. Yeah, and also sympathy. Like in my case, like you kind of want. Like he goes into the basement. You're like, yeah, like this guy kind of deserves what's coming to him, and it's like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I feel I feel like he's kind of been playing the asshole in B grade scary movies for a little bit now, though. Is the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's kind of his, that's been a thing that he's, he's started doing. So like, I kind of was ready for him to be like a total creepazoid in this one too. Uh, not going in no. but like, no, yeah, yeah. Right. And also like listening to that phone conversation in the car, like when they introduced him you're like, oh yeah. Okay. He's, a, hey, that told me everything I needed to know. <laughs> so, so anyway, the breastfeeding episode gives Tess the ability or the opportunity to escape the house, which she does. Uh, she then tries to track down, or she does track down a police unit to come and investigate the house, but she looks like a drug addict. She looks like she's very dirty and messy and generally not living her best life, so they kind of dismiss her claims. Uh, she hoofs it out of town, but then because of the cops, she's back in town at night. Uh, she had been warned by the homeless man who chased her earlier, who then helped her out of the house, uh, to not be around at night because the mother comes out to hunt anyone who gets out of her reach. Uh, Tess, because she's back, feels obligated to go and help AJ, so she goes back into the basement. AJ, in the meantime, has managed to, what? She hit some other with the car. That hasn't happened yet. Yeah, that happens before. 
Oh, that's right. Then she goes down and gets shot. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So she... Right. And then Justin Long has gotten the gun from a guy who is also in the basement. So we get a flashback to kind of start off the third act of the movie. To the early... Yeah. To the early 80s where Joe Chill, the guy who killed Christian Bale's Batman parents, <laughs> uh, lives in the house and when it's a brand new, nice, shiny house. But it turns out he's the guy who built the rape room and the tunnels and all that because he kidnaps girls, keeps them down there, videotapes himself raping them, and then has been raising the children and I guess inbreeding spawn after spawn after spawn, which is how we get to the mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's bad. I, um i saw a couple of the, them the like names no some of them some of them are like screamer some of them are like crier or something or uh, oh yeah uh yeah mm. Mm. yeah whatever yeah. you're imagining is way worse than what we could show you mm-hmm. 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 yeah uh, it's you know the the old classic thing of you know Jaws is scary because we don't see the shark, mm-hmm. um, but now we have an understanding of who Mother is or at least where she comes from. That actually kind of gives the movie an interesting emotional angle with her because you do sort of pity Mother as well. Yeah, like by the end of it, she's and even the homeless guy says it too, right? Like she's not the worst thing in there. Person, yeah. Who kills himself, by the way, yeah. when AJ discovers him. He has a gun in a table yeah. next to his bed. He's able to get to it. He kills himself. AJ then gets the gun, and when Tess comes down to the basement to help him, he freaks out and shoots her accidentally in the abdomen. Uh, of course, he's apologetic about this. He didn't mean to do it. Uh, they are able to exit the house, but then realize that Mother is no longer pinned to the car, which means she's still alive. Uh, the homeless man from earlier finds them and brings them to his little homeless shelter hideout. Uh, where Mother has never been for decades and decades until tonight, when she shows up, rips his arm off, and beats him to death with it. Yeah. That was cool. Uh, AJ and Tess start running away. Uh, They run onto the top of one of those big, I guess they're like oil containers. I think it was a water tower, right? Water tower, sure. Um, But of course... AJ drops the gun, which means that they have no way to defend themselves from Mother. And AJ realizes that the only way for any of them to survive is for him to push Tess, who's already injured and probably going to die anyway, off of the water tower uh, to distract Mother, which is what he does. He pushes her off. It does work. Mother runs. Yep. Yeah. Mother dives after Tess and actually kind of cushions her landing by hitting the pavement first. Uh... AJ goes down to confirm that Mother is dead, finds out Tess is still alive, starts making excuses for why he did what he did, but then it turns out Mother is still alive. Mother picks... Right. Uh, But then Mother gets revenge by uh, picking him up and gouging out his eyes in a most gruesome fashion. Yeah, that was Uh, pretty visceral. However, allows Tess to get the gun, which has fallen onto the pavement next to her, and finally put one in his brain and kill her, bust a cap. And that's how the movie ends. Yeah. Oh, geez. Um, yeah, like I said, it was a really weird watch the whole way through, because it does take such a dramatic twist. I think a lot of it made more sense once I did read about how the movie was like actually 
conceived, like that he started off with this concept of the Airbnb and then sort of partway through just decided, oh, let's do something weird with it. Because that is kind of how it comes across as you're watching. Um, mm-hmm. But I certainly think it was very effective. Uh, like you say, it's it's up on a tough year of sort of lower budget horror movies. And I'm not sure if this was my favorite one that I've seen this year, but it, it was a strong showing overall. I am well. I'm talking about X, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was really interesting how they made like Mother a more sympathetic monster than the victim of AJ, right? Like, mm-hmm. like by the end of it, like Mother is just a very mentally ill and deformed person, right? Like she's super strong, but like that's what she is. And AJ is like this actually full formed douchebag, and like. It's clear, like, the mother, when Tess, like, has the gun to mother's head and, like, pulls the trigger, right? Like, mother's got nothing there. She's got no concept of what's going on. Like, none. Like, she doesn't understand what a gun is. She doesn't understand. I don't I don't know if she understands that she was hurting people or what it means to hurt people. Like, I, like, I don't think the higher thought is there. I think maybe she lashes out, but she doesn't understand, like, the consequences of her actions. Like, it just, it, it was very, like, a innocent baby with super strength that, like, was a threat but had and like had to go down but like it's that's sadder to me than like the actual like douchebag right like i don't know That's what this movie reminded me so much of parasite and psycho and don't breathe secret basements yeah yeah I mean, I just, like, yeah, I, I just, kinda, I thought it was Barbarian just because, like, that's her class in D&D, right? Like, like she, she just passed those strength checks, right? Like, that's that what why. it was. Like, if, it, if if any class pulls off an arm and beats someone to death with it, like, that's, that's Barbarian. That's how that tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. I hear you. Yeah, I feel like Last Night in Soho had some of that. It's like horrifying that you exist in this world, and for some reason, all of those protagonists are female. That's interesting. I um was never really confused about why it was called Barbarian. Because <laughs> to me, it just felt like, I don't know. Well, I don't know the definition of the word barbarian, but isn't it just like, non-roman uh maybe somewhat savage person who lives outside of the normal society yeah feels like uh feels like what the monster was and maybe also what the real monster was yeah i thought it was more about like the aj dynamic and the fact that who is the real monster out of all of us in that sort of who is the barbarian i didn't hear he just left (laughs) So I guess he's really not pushing us to go that long. Oh, and as soon as he left this thing, maybe son, son. Oh no, he left him in the recording. I did think it was really interesting that like when AJ found Frank's room, like you see the the bell and it's like attached to a string, and that string leads to Frank's room. So like he was like actively being cared for by the monster, right? And the monster was very clearly afraid. Yeah, it of seems like going the implication. The, yeah, and like. The monster was very clearly afraid of him, right? Like, because it didn't chase AJ into that room, right? Like, it wouldn't even get close. Mm-hmm. Which probably means that, like, you know, the monster was not 
immune to Frank's abuse. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he had a gun. <laughs> yeah, but she didn't know what the gun meant, right? Like, his test could put the gun right to her head. So...